We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 uh, today, which is on page 1161, if you've got one of the Bibles knocking around. Um, if you've got your own Bible, you'll have to find it yourselves, or Apple, whatever, that's fine. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, is, is where we're going to be. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Church, and I get the chance to chat to you a little bit about uh, this bit of the Bible. Now, as a church, we believe that as we open the Bible, as we read it, that the God who created heaven and earth, that the God who we sang about, who came down in the person of Jesus and died, we believe that he speaks to us through that. That's what we believe happens as we open the Bible. And so as we look at this, we're not simply trying to... um, impart information. We're looking for that God to speak words of power into into our lives. That's what we we believe happens as we open up the Bible. And so it's I, I just love a chance in my week to slow myself down for half an hour to look at a bit of the Bible and to just allow my mind to quieten, my heart to quieten and to just listen what is it that God is is saying to me uh, at the moment. So so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to spend a bit of time doing. And we're going to be doing it specifically at the moment. We're going through a series looking at what we're about as a church. So maybe you've been coming to Grace Church for a while uh, and you've kind of, you've been picking up bits like, oh, they seem to be quite into this. They seem to be quite into that. This is a chance for you just to hear kind of why we do the things we do the way that we do. What is it that makes us tick? What is it we want to be about as a church? Uh, and if you're visiting, this is a great opportunity for you just to look in and see what matters to us, what we think uh, is important. Uh, and the thing we're, what, the value that we're looking at today, the thing that we're really into as a church, we've called proactive in mission together, by which we mean that we actively want to be involved in doing what God calls us to do, and we want to do it together. That's what that, those words mean. So we want to be involved in what God's doing, and we want to do it together. We don't believe that we're called to go out in our separate ways and just crack on by ourselves. We believe we're called to do that, that together. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, let me pray for us. Uh, And then we'll have a look at 2 Corinthians uh, 5. We're going to start verse 11. So let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that when you speak and when we hear you, we uh, we experience healing and transformation and new life and uh, challenge and direction and so many things that we're looking for in life. And Lord God, as we, we come here this Sunday afternoon on the back of who knows what our weeks have looked like and with another week stretching out in front of us, look, I pray that you would speak the words that each one of us needs to hear, that you would be equipping us to live the lives that you've given us well uh, over this next week. Amen. Great, let me read uh, 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to go down to 6, verse 2. Um, I might pause at certain points in it just to give us a quick summary of what Paul's talking about, because every time I read 2 Corinthians, I always find myself going, what on earth was all that about? Um, So I might just pause a few times just to kind of, uh, just to step out of that, and we'll see how it goes. This is where we go. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. So this this is Paul writing to the Corinthians and saying, since we have discovered what it means to know God, and to understand him as someone who is higher than us, greater than us, someone to be respected and in awe of, as we have discovered that, we now try to persuade others to come and see that God himself. That's what Paul's saying in that first verse. Then he goes on. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, 
because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, <laughs> what is all that about? So, so I think this is, this is Paul kind of speaking to these Corinthians and saying, I just want you to understand that my heart for you has never been about making myself look good. It's always been about helping you to experience the reality of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection for you. That's in essence what Paul's doing here. You see, Paul's been catching a whole load of flack from people in Corinth who are saying, Paul's not that great. What Paul talks about it isn't that important. You need to stop listening to Paul. You need to listen to me. And Paul is just here saying, I hope that when you look at me, you can see that what I was trying, I was never trying to commend myself. I was never trying to build myself up. But instead, I was trying to point you to Jesus and to help you to experience the life that comes through him. That's, that's what I think is going on here. And it's worth saying that if, if Paul can say that and that's true, that's quite a thing. Because I know how often I get obsessed with commending myself. I got obsessed with how do I make myself look good? How do I say words that are going to make people think I'm good? Like, I know how easy it is to get sucked into that trap. But Paul says that wasn't what he was about. He was about pointing people to Jesus. Let's go on, verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. That's Paul basically saying, I used to be an enemy of Jesus, but I am no longer. I don't view Jesus like that. I see him as something, uh, as something spectacular rather than as something to be opposed. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the day, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. That's Paul, in essence, saying, saying in in that last section, he's saying, "Having, having come to see Christ, as of incredible worth, having come to see him as the thing of greatest value, I now com- what we now do is we speak of him and we try to call others to know the reconciliation that comes through him. That's broadly speaking what's going on in this section. We'll spend a bit of time digging into this uh, in a minute. So we'll, we'll go to it, and if you haven't got that, then that's fine. We've got a bit of time still to get there. Last week... Um, Actually, the week before last. The week before last, uh, the Parker family, we went to the cinema and we went to see the film Dune. Um, now, I, I, Dune is based on a, on a book that I haven't read. Um, that I could start most films with that line. Um, uh, I, it's based on a book I haven't read and I don't know, uh, I know nothing about. So I cannot speak to whether it's particularly faithful to the book or whether it's a good uh, adaptation of it. Um, but I can, tell you, I can tell you what I got out of the film. The film follows the story of a, a young man called Paul. Uh, and this guy finds himself in the middle of this giant galactic drama. So he is the son of one of the powerful, it's sci-fi, just in case you haven't got that from that galactic drama thing. It's sci-fi. Um, so he finds it, he's the son of one of the most powerful uh, families in the, in the universe. Uh, and that family gets sent to do a, an unenviable task by the empire. 
And, and as they go down to do this, what the family finds is that they are suddenly at war with one of the other incredibly powerful families in the, in the universe and the empire itself. Uh, and Paul suddenly finds himself, uh, as son of the leader of this family, he suddenly finds himself thrust into this position where he's having to work out two things. And this is, I guess, what makes it an interesting film. He's trying to work out who he is and also what it is he's supposed to be doing all at the same time. It's kind of like a coming-of-age film and also a kind of grand epic drama all at the same time. It's like, who am I and what is it I'm called to do? And he finds himself constantly conflicted about different ideas of the kind of paths he could take and what that might mean for him. You know, if I did this, this could lead me in this direction. If I did this, this could lead me here. Unsure which direction to go on, trying to find his way through, through that story. And I just, I was struck as I was watching it by how that is the story of, you know, a million different films and a million different books. You know, we love that story. We love the story of someone who's, who's, got a, who's got a mission, something that they're supposed to be doing and is trying to find their way through it. What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What, what is it that I'm supposed to be achieving? And then we love following them as they kind of do that, as they complete their, their mission and their quest. And, and I wonder why. Why is it that we love those stories? Why is the making and telling of those stories of someone who goes on a quest to defeat the bad guys, to rescue the good guys, like why is that so compelling to us? Why are so many stories based on that sort of idea? I think it's because as human beings, we love the idea of a mission. We love the idea of something that we're supposed to be doing. I think that's the appeal of those kind of books and those kind of stories. We love it when someone's kind of going to do something and it's clear what they should be doing and they're trying to find their way through it. And we love watching them do that. It's the appeal of so many computer games. Computer games appeal because we get to go on a quest. You know, we get, to, we get to go on a story which has clear rules. These are the things I can and these are the things I can't do. You get to work to overcome the bad guys, save the good guys, to achieve what you set out to do. Even if the game isn't that kind of story, we love it because we, get, we can succeed at it or we can fail at it. It's a clear objective. It's something we can aim at. We can improve at it. You see, stories, whether told in books or films or TVs or comics, they tap into that desire that all of us have for a purpose, for a mission, for, for a quest that we can throw ourselves into. And virtual worlds give us an opportunity, give us an output for that. They give us a place where we can find some of that. But the problem with, obviously, quests in, in computer games or in that virtual world is that at the end of it, no bad guys are actually beaten, and no good guys are actually saved, and nothing is actually changed. The world isn't a better place. You may, you may have got that experience of being on a quest, but actually at the end of it, other than having had a good time, you haven't actually achieved anything. You haven't changed anything. The world is in a different place as a result of you doing that. And so we get some of the experience of it, but at the end of it, it often feels dissatisfying flat. It sucks us in. It, it feels all-encompassing. It feels like I'm on this journey and I'm doing this thing, but at the end of it, we haven't actually done anything. No one's been saved. No one's been rescued. The world isn't a better place. And so we get to this fourth value that we have as, that we're talking about as a church this week, proactive in mission together. 
And this is what we believe. We believe that God calls on people, all people, to share in his mission. In fact, that's actually how God created the world. So we're told at the beginning that God created the world, and then he created human beings, and human beings were meant to share in his work of cultivating the world, of caring for the world, of developing the world. Now, that's the way God created the world, that we, we were created to share in God's mission for the world. He didn't, God didn't create a finished product. He created something that was going to be worked on, that was going to be improved, that was going to be cultivated. You see, we believe that God created us with a purpose, which is why those stories are so compelling. It's why we love it when we see someone who's got a clear sense of purpose, a clear mission, a clear thing that they're going after. And, and there's a bit of us that looks at it and thinks, that looks horrible and hard, but I'd love to have that. I'd love to be able to be pursuing something with that level of clarity, with that level of confidence. And, and here in 2 Corinthians 5, we have God's mission spell out for us in incredibly clear terms. Look with me at verses 18 and 19 if you've still got that open. If not, then just just listen in. This is what Paul says about this mission, how he describes it in verse 18 and 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you see what he's saying there? He's saying God's mission was for us to be reconciled to him, And then he wants to bring us into that his mission of reconciling what? When he goes on to say that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. The world. So first he wants us to be reconciled to God. And then once we're reconciled to God, he wants us to join in his mission, which is of reconciling the whole world to God. Not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, in order for us to understand our mission, we first have to understand God's mission. What is God doing in the world? It's a question that like, you've probably asked yourself at some point, and you probably find other people asking. And if we're going to understand God's mission, we have to realize it's about much more than you and me. God's mission is not primarily about me, what God is doing in my life or in your life. God's mission is huge. Did you see it there? God's mission is to reconcile not just you, not just me, not just us, but the whole world to himself. God's mission is to bring the whole world, all people, back into relationship with him. And he does this not by counting their sins against him, against them. That's what he says. He says, this is the way I'm going to reconcile the world to me. I'm going to not count people's sins against them. And the question that we're left with is, how can he do that? How can a perfect God just accept the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that's in all of our lives that all of us have caused? How does he do that? How can he he reconcile the whole world to himself? How can he say, I live in utter perfection and I'm going to welcome in these imperfect people and it's not going to ruin my perfect world? Well, he tells us here, he's going to do it by not counting their sins against them. But he can't just overlook it. He can't just go, well, it'll be all right. Get him in. It'll probably go all right. Because it probably won't. Because it never has before. Like, we're we're experts at messing things up. We're experts at hurting other people and hurting ourselves and damaging the world. He can't just overlook it. He can't ignore it. Sin has to be dealt with. Guilt has to be removed. Both for God to be able to bring us into his perfect world. 
without us ruining it. But also for us even to want that. If we even are going to want to be a part of what God's doing, then sin has to be dealt with. Because sin tells us we don't want that. We don't want God. We don't want to be a part of him. So that has to be dealt with. And in verse 21, we get one of the most concise descriptions of how God does that that you will find anywhere in the Bible. This is it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how, this was God's great mission. This was his great plan. He's going to reconcile the world to himself and he's going to do it by becoming part of the world himself. He's going to come down. And he's going to become a human being and he's going to suffer all of the pain and all of the judgment and all of the humiliation and all of the shame that comes as a result of our sins. He's going to take all of that. He himself had done nothing wrong. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. He's going to take it all. And in exchange, he is going to give us his righteousness, all his goodness, all his perfection. He's going to give that to us. He takes our guilt. We take his righteousness. And this righteousness not only declares us perfect before God, which it does do, but it is also going to make us perfect. It's going to make us fit for that new heaven and new earth. Now, I don't believe we're going to get there this side of of eternity, just to put out my, my views on that, but that's for another discussion. That's what Jesus' righteousness does. The timing of it we can discuss at another point, but that's what it does. It declares us righteous and it's going to make us righteous. It would work in us to declare us forgiven and to make us ready to be reconciled to God in the new creation he is making. That's God's mission. It's what what people have talked about for centuries as a great exchange. This great exchange. God takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. That was God's mission. That was what God was intending to do in the world. And it's called this, mini- this mission of reconciliation. That's how people are brought, brought back into relationship with God. That's how we can know the God who created us. But do you, do you notice what he says in the middle of this? Because he says it twice. He says that God's mission is then becomes our mission. So he says it in, in verse 18. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then again he says in verse 19, he committed to us the message of reconciliation. That is our mission. That that is the mission that God gives us on earth. It's the mission of reconciling people to the God who made them, who loves them, who died for them. When we say we want to be proactive in mission together, that's the mission we're talking about. The mission of reconciliation which God has left us. That's the quest that we're on as human beings. If you're out there and you're looking for a purpose and you're looking for a mission and you're looking for something that you can get behind and that you can pursue with your life, what Paul is saying here is that thing is the mission of reconciling a world that has gone away from God back to him. That's the mission he's given human beings. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And it goes like this. First, we need to be reconciled to God. That's the first part of the mission. And then once we have come to know God, once we have come to experience his love, his righteousness at work in us, then we push forward with that that mission of reconciling the whole world to God. 
You see, we have this as a value as a church because God's mission is so much bigger than you. Christ didn't simply die to reconcile you to God. He died to reconcile the world to God. And that means that as a church, our mission has to be about more than ourselves. It has to be about more than the people in this room. Our mission is for the world to be reconciled to God. And we want to share this message of reconciliation. And we want to do that with each other, yes. But we also want to do it with people outside of these walls. With our family and colleagues and our neighbours and people who we know and people who we don't even know yet. Our mission is to be peacemakers, to be those who speak of God's love for people, who speak of the forgiveness which can be theirs through that great exchange, of the new life they can enjoy as they come to know God and as they align themselves with what he is doing in the world rather than fighting against it. You see, it has to be our mission because it's God's mission. The whole world reconciled to God. That's his mission. Not 50 people in a room in Hartlepool reconciled to God. That's not God's mission. It's a part of God's mission. It's a great part of God's mission. We celebrate what God's doing in that. But that's not the mission. The mission is the whole world being reconciled to God. Hopefully you've got that. You've got, that's the mission. And so the problem is that you kind of say that and now I go, great, that's the mission, just Go out and do that. <laughs> like, if you don't mind, just reconcile the world to God. Go on, get on with it. Uh, and it, and you're like, great. So what do, what do I do with that? Like, what do I actually do? Like, this is the moment where Frodo gazes wistfully into the camera and says, "I will take the ring to Mordor, though I don't know the way." Like that. This is that moment. You know, like yes, I I want to be there. I want to reconcile the world to 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 God, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> like I don't know what I'm meant to do. Like. Great, I'll do it, but I don't know the way. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what we're called to do. And the good news is that Paul, here in this section, is going to spell out exactly how we do it. Maybe not exactly. I might have oversold that a little bit. But he's going to give us some good pointers. Okay, So he's going to give us some like helpful uh, advice in terms of how do we do this. And this is how he describes what we're going to do. You'll see it in verse 20, if you look in this thing. He says, it, we do it as taking a role as God's ambassador. If you want to know how you involve yourself in God's mission of reconciling the whole world to do it, you do it as being Christ's ambassador. And I I want to suggest there's three things that are central to being an ambassador. Three things. That the first, if we're going to act as ambassadors, if our role in the mission is to be Christ's ambassadors on earth, the first thing we need to um, recognize is that we represent Christ. That's what an ambassador does. So an ambassador is a person who represents something to an, in, in a different environment. So if, if you are the British ambassador in Thailand, then you are someone who is living in Thailand representing Britain. Like that is your role. Like if you look it up in, if you look at what an, what an ambassador is in like the dictionary, that's what it'll tell you it is. Like that's the, the first definition of it. And so we are now called to be Christ representatives on earth. You see, Christ is not physically on earth anymore. He's not here. He was here 2,000 years ago, and you could have seen him. But now he's not. And the way he now works is he gives his spirit who lives in his ambassadors. We now represent Jesus on earth. That's what we do. And that means 
that everything we do, every decision we make, the way we treat others, that really matters because we are representing Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're representing him. We're his ambassadors. He's not physically here. We are. We're his ambassadors. Just as, as an ambassador needs to act in a certain way, speak in a certain way, because they're representing their country. So we as Christ's ambassadors are called, called to act and speak in a certain way. I, I just want to make it as simple as I can. If we are Christ's ambassadors, that means that we need to, in our actions, we need to love other people like Christ loved them. Because that's how we represent Jesus to them. We need to make much of God. Like Jesus did. Jesus is constantly speaking of the glory of the Father. We need to make much of God just like Jesus did. We need to speak truth even when it's unpopular, just like he did. We need to be gentle with people like he was. We need to, we need to speak of our need of forgiveness. We need to be the kind of people, uh, teach about the kind of people that God calls us to be, just like Jesus did. We're ambassadors. And so if we're representing Jesus, we need to be like him. That's why, again and again, when you read the Bible, what you read is that Jesus comes into your life, you experience his forgiveness, and then he makes you like him. That's what he does. Because we're ambassadors. So, so as Christ's ambassadors, we need to recognize we're representing him in everything we do. Like that's, what, that's what's going on. So how we live matters. Our conduct matters. Just like an ambassador's conduct matters. But we also have a specific role. Paul talks about it in a number of ways in this section. At the very start, if you look back to the first verse we looked at, verse 11, I think it was, then he says this, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Then again later on he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, our lives matter because we're ambassadors representing Christ. But in the context of lives that are representing Jesus then this is what God calls us to do as his ambassadors. We seek to persuade others. We seek to persuade others. We want other people to come to know him. We want other people to be reconciled to him. That's the job God gives us as his ambassadors. We want other people to be reconciled to God, to find the peace God wants for them, to find a whole new way of relating to God as children and friends rather than enemies. You see, we, we seek to persuade others because God has chosen that he is going to make his appeal through us. That's how God's going to make his appeal to people. He said, okay, this is what I'm going to do in the world. I'm going to send out ambassadors and they're going to speak for me and they're going to make this appeal for me. Pers seeking to persuade people, come to know the God who loves you, who died for you, who longs to be reconciled to you. Maybe, maybe you're someone here this afternoon, and you're just looking into Christianity. You're not sure what you make of it. Maybe you've, you've just kind of, you're just here, and you're like, I don't know what I think of Jesus, haven't thought about him for ages, or you've just started to think about him, but you don't even know where to begin. Uh, and maybe you're trying to also, you, you're, here and you're trying to work out, what's Grace Church about? Like, what kind of church is it? Maybe you've come to church, and you're looking for something. Maybe you're here, and you're looking for community. You're looking for just a place you can belong. Maybe you're looking for acceptance, a place where people will love you and accept you. Uh, maybe you're looking for some sort of spiritual experience. You're hoping that you'll, you'll go and you'll just feel uplifted spiritually. You'll experience some kind of spiritual phenomenon in that. 
that's fine. Like, if you come looking for those things, that's fine. You're very welcome here. I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. You know, I hope you find those things for, for what they're worth. But this is what we're going to do every time you're here. We're going to try to persuade you to come to know the God who loves you. We're trying, going to try and persuade you that Jesus loves you. We're going to try to persuade you that he died for you. We're going to try to persuade you that he calls on you to, to find the forgiveness that he offers to follow him. That's what we're going to do. If you're someone looking into Jesus or looking into grace, you're going to keep coming. We're just going to keep trying to persuade you unashamedly. Like, that's what we're going to do. Okay? We're going to keep going on saying, this is, this is what God wants for you. We're going to make this appeal that you are reconciled to God again and again, and we're not going to stop making that appeal. To take Paul's language here, he says, we will implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to plead with you again and again. Be reconciled to God. Come to know him. Find the life he offers. Find the forgiveness he offers. And we're going to do that because we love you and we believe it's what every human being was created for. And we're going to do it because, like we just read here, we think it's what God's about. We think it's what God's doing and we think it's what he calls us to do. And for some of you, the first step of getting involved in that mission is going to be for you first to go to Jesus, to accept his forgiveness and to be reconciled to God. That's where the mission starts. You're not even on the mission until that happens. That's where the mission starts. For some of you, that's the step that you need to be taking today. You need to be just turning to Jesus and going, yes, I need to know you. I need to be reconciled to you. I need to come into relationship with a God who loves me, who is bigger than me. For some of you, that's the step. But then after that, we go on that mission together, seeking to persuade others, making God's appeal to them. So what is our role in God's great mission of reconciling the world to himself? Well, we act as his ambassadors. And in order to be ambassadors, I want to suggest we need to do three things. So if you've kind of zoned out for the last five minutes, and you're like, what's Ben been talking about? Here are, the, here are the three things. I've only done two of them so far. But here are the three things. The first one is we need to live Christ-like lives. That's what an ambassador does. They live the lives of the person they're representing. So we live lives like Jesus. The second thing is we try to persuade others. We try to persuade everyone who'll listen to us Come and be reconciled to God. Know him. Experience his love. Get involved in his mission. And this is the third thing we need to do. We need to do it together. If you want to be an ambassador, you need to live Christ-like lives. You need to try to persuade others, and you need to do it with other Christians. As you read through this section, you'll notice all the language is plural. We try to persuade others. God has reconciled us to himself. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God makes his appeal through us. I could go on. Every single bit of it is plural. This is an activity we do together. You see, we're all looking for an, a mission. But actually, not only are we all looking for a mission, we're all looking for people to go on that mission with us. That's why all those stories, they always involve, like, Dune isn't the story of Paul going on this mission. It's the story of Paul and Duncan and some woman whose name I can't remember, and his mum. And, like, it's, it's that story. It's the story of all those people going on it together. Frodo's story of the ring isn't the story of him, it's the story of the fellowship. We were looking for a mission, we're looking on people to do it with us. They're the stories we love. Stories where we're on a mission and where we're with a band of brothers together. 
We're in this together. We're going for it. We're doing this together. They're the stories we love because that's what we all want. We want a mission, but we don't want to be doing it solo. We want to be doing it with other people. The good news is that's the kind of mission God invites us to be a part of, a mission that we undertake with a band of brothers who together are working to act as Christ's ambassador, to play their part in God's great work of reconciling the world to himself. You want to be an ambassador? You need to live a Christ-like life. You need to try to persuade other people to come and know the God who loves them. And you need to do it with other Christians. That's what an ambassador looks like. That's, that's how Paul describes it. And that's so important because if you've been a Christian for a while, when people talk about mission, you, you're, what probably goes on in your head is this, this vision of you like plucking up the courage to have that conversation with someone at work or a neighbor or a family member. You know, I just need to talk to them about Jesus and I know, but I don't really want to and it's a bit scary and I'm worried about how they're going to react. And like, that's what goes on in your head. And, and, and you know, that, that might be a part of mission. But we tend to view mission primarily as a thing that we do by ourselves. But it's not that. We do it together. You see, what we're doing now, here on a Sunday, this is part of our mission. When we come together and we sing of the glory of Jesus... We are acting as his ambassadors to a watching world. As you seek to welcome people here on a Sunday, you're acting as Christ's ambassador. Tomorrow at the Dancing Cup, as we try to think about why life is so overwhelming, and as we seek to point each other to that, we're seeking to live as Christ's ambassadors, both to show in our lives that the gospel has something to say about how overwhelming life is, and also to speak to people in a watching world about what does the, how does the gospel speak into how overwhelming you find life. As you invite people to a life group gathering, you're doing mission. As you invite people around to your house for a meal, you're involved. It's part of our mission. See, that's all us acting as Christ's ambassadors. And in all of these contexts, we have the opportunity to do it together. In every mission, in every quest, in every good story that you've ever read of someone going on a quest to achieve something, you need a range of people with a range of gifts. You have that great scene so often where it's like, let's get the team together. We need, you know, someone, a bomb expert and a safe breaker and, you know, a con man. Like, maybe that's not like, you know, not for this mission. But you know what I mean? In those, in those, in those films, that's what you get. You get the note, let's get the team together. And you get the musical montage and like they go around and pull all these experts together. Like, that's what you need. And that's, what we're, that's what we're, how we're wired to need. None of us have all of the skills and gifts to do the mission that God's called us to do of reconciling the world to himself. Not one of us. We do it as a team. The mission's too big. It's a group activity. If you've, um, if you've ever been stuck with me uh, uh, in like, I don't know, a party or a social gathering or something like that. If you haven't been stuck, just like in the kitchen, and you suddenly look around and it's like, only Ben's here. <laughs> kind of awkward. Right, then like, if you haven't been stuck in that situation, then you'll have probably found, myself you'll probably found yourself listening to me going on and on about the 2004 American League Championship Series in baseball. Um, it, it's, it's like, it's just one of, those, one of those things I love to talk about. If you've never found yourself 
listening to me talk about this, you're in for an absolute treat for the next half an hour. Because um, let, me, let me tell you about it. Okay, I was at uni in 2004. Okay? In 2004, I was in my final year of, of university. And I, I lived with a guy called Alex Chadburn. And he, he was like really into baseball. And I always thought baseball was just rubbish. A, it was American, so it must be rubbish. And also, I just thought it was like a, a, an excuse for ad breaks. I just thought it was like all American sports. It was built around how do we get as many ad breaks into a sport as we possibly can. And so I just thought it was rubbish. But he, he was like, look, you've got to start watching it with me. And it was on Channel 4. Um, and it started at 1 o'clock in the morning, okay? You could watch Major League Baseball at 1 o'clock in the morning. And we had a TV down in our basement. So at 1 o'clock in the morning, me and, uh, me and my, my friend uh, Chaz would go down to the bottom floor and we'd turn on the baseball and we'd start watching it. 2004 was a great year to start watching baseball. Okay, so in 2004, you get the American League Championship Series. And it's between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees, two of the biggest, biggest teams in, in baseball. And the Red Sox had been on a, I can't quite remember, an 86? I think I've got it written down here somewhere. 84. 84 84-year run of not winning any World Series. So in the first uh, kind of 15 years of of the World Series, the Red Sox had won five. So they'd been one of the most successful teams in baseball. And then in 1918, they sold their star player, Babe Ruth, to the New York Yankees. And for the next 84 years, they didn't win a single World Series. And the New York Yankees won 26 which is twice as much as anyone else. And this was called the Curse of the Bambino. Okay, That was what it was called in, in baseball terms, the Curse of the Bambino. You, they sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and since then, for 84 years, they don't win a single World Series, and the, Reds, and the Yankees go on to win 26, twice as many as anyone else. So I'm watching this, and in 2004, you get the Red Sox versus the Yankees, and the, Red, and the Yankees absolutely smash the Red Sox. It's the best, best out of seven series. They absolutely smash them for three, the first three matches. So Red Sox, 3-0 down. No team in um, American uh, baseball postseason, like best out of seven, has ever come back from 3-0 down. In fact, they've never even come back to 3-3 before. No team had ever come back from 3-0 down, even to get to 3-3. And no one had ever come back to win from 3-0 down. So it comes to game four, and I'm down in our grotty little basement watching like baseball at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it's the ninth innings, the last innings, and the Red Sox are losing by one, one run. And, and in the last innings, they managed to get a run to tie it. So it goes to extra innings. Innings 10, no scores. Innings 11, still a draw. Innings 12, the the Red Sox manage to nick it and they take it it to 3-1. The next game, the next game goes, they're they're playing uh, again. And this game goes to 14 innings. It's the longest game in um, kind of American postseason kind of baseball in the the history of the game. 14 innings it goes to. Red Sox 3-1 down, they win it. They get to 3-2. Then game, game six comes along. Their pitcher is injured, their star pitcher. And they, they pull him out and they're like, you're going to pitch because we just need you. And, and he pitches. And as he's pitching, his sock is getting more and more covered in blood from the injury that he's got on his foot. And he manages to pitch seven innings and he keeps them down to a one run and the Red Sox win 4-2. And it goes to the final game of the American League Championship Series. Three games all, Red Sox versus the Yankees. And, and the Red Sox absolutely smash the Yankees, okay? And the Red, so the Red Sox take it. They, go, they take it. They win four games to three. They go to the World Series. They win the World Series. They win their first World Series for 84 years. Uh, just an amazing time to be into baseball. Now, why am I talking about baseball? I'll tell you why I'm talking about baseball. Because I love talking about baseball. 
And I, I love talking about the 2004 American League Baseball because I basically haven't watched any since then. I was like, this was so amazing, but it's only in the middle of the night and I'm not a student anymore and I can't get up at one o'clock in the morning to watch games of baseball that go on for hours and hours and hours. I just can't do it. So I haven't watched any more, but I can tell you about that one because it was amazing. Now, you might have been sat here while I'm going through talking about the mission that God calls us to. Mission, reconciling the world to God. And you may be sat here thinking, look, sell that mission to someone else. I just don't want it. I'll find my own mission. I'm quite happy, like, eating tins of spaghetti and playing, like, Skyrim. Fine. Like, that, that might be, like, where you are. Like, I just don't want that mission. Not for me. You, you might be sat here and you go, oh, man, I'd love to be part of that mission, but I just can't live a Christ-like life. I just can't be like Jesus. I try every week and I just, I just fail again and again. I can't live the kind of life I need to to be on this mission. You might, you might be here and you might be thinking, I'd love to be part of that mission. But it's every time that I'm trying to persuade others, I just bottle it. I just can't do it. I, just, I, I go to say something and then I end up talking about the 2004 World Series instead. Like, like Probably not that, but you know, whatever the equivalent is for you. You might be beside thinking, I'd love to be on that mission, but I just can't work with other people. I keep trying, but they just do my head in. I just can't cope with them. It's just too hard. Yeah, I'd love to be involved in this mission. I'd love to be doing it, but every time I try and get involved with other people, it just doesn't seem to work. Or maybe you're there thinking, I'd love to be involved, but I've got nothing to offer. All these other guys are so great, but what am I bringing to the party? What's going to change that? What's going to change someone who doesn't care about this mission, who goes, that's not for me, I don't want it to someone who's on board? What's going to change you from someone who's failing to live like Jesus to someone who lives like him? What's going to change you from someone who bottles it to someone who points other people to Jesus? What's going to change you from someone who works alone to someone who works with others? I want to suggest it's something very simple. This is what's going to change you. It's a growing experience and appreciation of Jesus' love for you. That's what will transform all of those things. You see, no one forces me to talk about the 2004 Championship series between the Red Sox and the Yankees. No one forces me to. I do it because I loved watching it. And I talk about it because I love remembering it. I love going back and remembering those days in that basement, those like uni days where I'm up in all through the night watching baseball. It's just like, feel like a different world. I love remembering it. I talk it because I like other people gaining some level of appreciation for it. I think I probably failed at that today. But, you know, I'll try again next time. Like, I, I, love, I love communicating something of the joy of it. Paul says Christ loved us the same thing, but so much more powerfully. In a lovely phrase in verse 14, Paul says that Christ's love compels them. It's not that they begrudgingly act as ambassadors because they have to. No, as they experience Christ's love for them, they can't help but talk of it. They can't help but try to be like him. They can't help but love the family God has brought them into. They can't help but seek to persuade others to experience that love for themselves. Christ's love compels them. No one's forcing them. They just, they just experience God's love for them. They experience Christ's love for them. And they want to be involved in that mission. I'm going to wrap it up. And I want to wrap it up in uh, kind of as stark terms as I can. As I, as I look around the world, as I look in my own life, as I talk to people, it seems to me there's a distinct lack of meaning and purpose in people's lives at the moment. Many of us are unsure what it is that we're trying to do. Like, what am I trying to achieve with my life? What's the point of it? What would, what would make my life a success or not a success? 
We're looking for a mission. We're looking for something to believe in, something to get behind. And here is my call to you today. Make this your mission. Make this your mission. Make it your mission to be reconciled to God and then to be involved in his great work of reconciling the whole world to himself. Allow this mission to direct your feet, to drive your decisions, to focus your life. And when this mission feels unimportant, when it feels undesirable, when it feels hard or unmanageable, return to the cross. Bask in the love of Christ until you find yourself compelled yet again to live for him, to talk of him, to make him known. Because how could you not speak of the one who's given you so much? Let me pray. Father God, life feels a daunting thing so much of the time. Decisions feel impossible to make. Purpose seems hard to find. And satisfaction again and again seems to elude us. Father, I thank you that you are someone with a grand vision for our world. A vision where all of it is brought back into harmony. Harmony with itself and harmony with you. Father God, I I long to be a part of that mission. I thank you that you've chosen to do it through people like us. And Lord God, I pray that each of us would find what it is to know your love for us and to then be involved in that great work that you're doing here on earth. Amen.